Welcome back to Too Much Popcorn, the movie review podcast where Jimmy and I watch a movie, then we talk about the highs, the lows, and ultimately, if you should watch it. Yeah. This week, we watched Total Recall, the 1990s sci-fi classic with Arnold Schwarzenegger on Mars, where there's rebels and guns and more guns and people getting shot. And ultimately, Jimmy, we just need to get down to it. We need to talk about the topic that is on everybody's mind. It is the, like, just cultural miasma that is still plaguing people to this day. And it is, what is going on with Arnold Schwarzenegger's outfit this entire movie? (laughs) You know, I went in thinking this was an 80s film. And I fully was taken out of it when I learned 1990 was the year this came out. Because I said, well, look at this man's shirt. <laughs> this man's whole getup. From from cargo shorts to <laughs> cargo pants to flannel shirts, this man is dressed like a 90s dad, if I ever saw. And it totally... What was going on there? Why? So, so, so hear me out. I, I think... This is just my opinion, but I, I think a lot of this movie came from, you know, ideas of other movies. Like we had some inspiration of the movie Alien, you know, yes, and then yes. we had inspiration of Terminator. And I, I think they'd watched the home improvement with Tim Allen and they were like, that's it. That's the <laughs> we outfit. Need Tim Allen in the movie. And they're like, we can't get Tim Allen. He's a little busy. He's making the Santa Claus. He's making Santa Claus. He's he's possibly getting into some Toy Story shenanigans. We can't get him right now. Can we get? And they're like, we have Arnold Schwarzenegger on retainer. <laughs> and they're like, do we have any flannels big enough for that guy? And they're like, we can make them. <laughs> Put it in the budget. They just took a circus tent, took it down, sewed it up into a shirt. They were like, here it is. Seriously. The guy is so big. Yeah. He's very big in this movie, too. And they they accentuate it in a couple scenes, too. They're like, hey, have you seen Arnold Schwarzenegger's arms? And everyone, everyone is like, yes, regardless of what age you are. You're like, yes, I saw him in the 80s, and now I'm seeing him now in Total Recall. And God, he's big. Yeah. He's a big dude. It, it goes to my favorite scene of the entire movie, which is right there at the beginning. No spoilers. Uh, but it is right there at the beginning when he is working. Wait, are we not spoilers? <laughs> there will be some spoilers probably. But this one, not a spoiler. A few. Yeah. It, He's working yeah. as a construction guy. He's on a big old jackhammer. And man, he is just hammering that jack into the ground. And his arms are rippling. And it is very good to watch. It's beautiful. It It's almost like a no-brainer to be like, hey... We've cast Arnold Schwarzenegger as your everyman construction worker. And everyone's like, yeah, if he says no words, I totally believe it. And he's like, okay, come on. (laughs) Time to to put in the work, guys. Clock in, clock out. How crazy would it be to have (laughs) your day job next to Arnold Schwarzenegger every day? You're this Danny DeVito looking ass guy. And you're like, I get to work with Adonis over here? It's amazing. Yeah. He's saying great things like, hey, let's go jackhammer. And you're like, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, you're like, that is our job. I love it. <laughs> you you break for lunch and you're like, oh, I got this peanut butter and jelly. Arnold, what about you? And he's like, protein shake. And you're like, awesome. I Okay, we do have to, speaking of the protein shakes, I love that they're just like, hey, Arnold, do your thing in the kitchen. We got the nuts in there. We got... We got all your stuff. They stocked this kitchen with just Arnold's stuff. And he's like, oh, thank you. I will, I will make my shake. I have my... I think he probably brought in his own little blender mix thing. I love it. I 100% stand by the fact that like the director came in that day. He's like, look, Arnold, we set out this like Thanksgiving feast for you. There's turkey. There's potatoes. There's green beans. He's like, no, thanks. All I need is protein shake and nuts. And then... You know, it could actually be fully sort of an ad lib okay the fact that it was so fully stocked definitely like a choice that was made but for it to be arnold's choice is my hope because it would be like not only would it be like i only eat protein shake don't make me eat this turkey i can't do that i would love for him to be fully in character like he'd be like oh well don't you think doug quaid would rather sort of be eating the future food you know he's on the go he's a man on the go he's a and he's like giving all this character reasoning as to why he would just like drink a shake and go to work. I would love that. Yeah. I would love some behind the scenes on that. Arnold hit us. And like the director is like standing by. He's like, hey, no, like he he's going to eat a sandwich. He's going to take the turkey and the green beans, put it all into a sandwich. And Arnold's like, no, there's not enough nutrients there for Doug. Like he needs to hold the jackhammer and really drive it into the ground. He needs a How protein else do you shake. Think Doug got so fucking jacked. Look. <laughs> It's the protein. Yeah. He eats it every day. Yeah. And, and like, I think he even went like a step further. He went over to the craft services table. He's like, look at all this shitty food. He like knocks it onto the ground and just replaces it with protein shakes. I would love for there to be some like footage. But to be honest, I, I think the the stories that I've heard of Arnold like on set and stuff is that he's just like very like composed and you know, like a joy to work with, but I would love for him to just be like this diva who's like, everyone must look like me by the end of the, p- the production. <laughs> I, well, I, I see, die. see, I think it's totally for like streamlining stuff. Like, you know, you got the boom operator who's always holding his hands up. Yeah, he's like, look at you, you weak man. <laughs> you need to lift them all. And then, you know, we do that so you can optimally get all of the audio. He's like, you're too low. You're going to miss my perfect line delivery. Yeah. Uh, also, yeah, spoiler I, alert for this whole episode. Most of it's going to be Arnold and I. Or <laughs> Jimmy and I. Do it, Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> Arnold. It was such a convincing. I was in it. Oh, no. Oh, that's amazing. So, yes, so, no, it's so Artie, gonna be, what? <laughs> Aaron and I trying to do our best Arnold impression because there, okay, there are a lot of good oneers, one-liners in here of Arnold at his best. Yeah, you know? I think there are many '80s, many '90s movies with him in it where he is just, you know, line for line, he's nailing them. He's got the Batman and Robin just sweet of oh, all yeah. of those, chill out, you know, all that kind of stuff, and. <laughs> This, this movie delivers in yeah. terms of Arnold saying goofy shit to bad guys and delivering it with the heart of what you expect an Arnold one-liner, the cheese, and just his voice exuding that action hero vibe of just, he's sort of like a dick, 
but also you're like you you have to root for him because he's the good guy. Yeah. So he does it. And Arnold, I think, just loved making movies. Like it, it just it comes out when you watch one of his movies that he just it was joyful doing it, and like he had an art to his movies, and it just parting the curtain here. Arnold is one of my favorite actors. I love all of his movies. I just will always stand by them. They're a joy to watch. And I, this is one of those movies where it, it's, you know, kind of clear that like he had fun making it and I always have fun watching it. Yes. Yeah. I, I can stand by that. I think there are many flaws to many movies that he was involved in, which we might do episodes on later. Uh, we might never do episodes on them again because it would require us to rewatch movies that we uh, absolutely would not uh, recommend. Um, but uh, yeah, I think for for a man with a, a such a storied and long career in, in Hollywood, in all these movies and stuff, it's like there's hits in there, like most of them. You, you would just be like, I am returning to this film for the nth time because... Arnold is the star, and he has that panache mm-hmm. that you're looking for. And I, I agree. He, he's got it. Yeah. Even though I, I have my issues with him, I, I will nitpick the hell out of Arnold oh, Schwarzenegger no. saying words. <laughs> <laughs> um, saying any words that aren't one-liners is not his sort of bag. He can't really do it. I will stand by his line delivery being, if, he, if it's a one thing that he can say to a guy before he shoots him or kicks him off something... It's going to be a good line. Or after he's done something horrible to a man, it's going to be a good line. It's going to be a great line. But if it's anything where he is trying to sensually talk to his possible wife in some movie, it is an unbelievable thing that I cannot... There's something with him that my brain cannot focus on and believe him in a role where he's not just holding a gun with one arm and being like, come on! Uh, you know, that's him to me. That's that's entirely fair. I'm just saying. Yeah. There's there's definitely a mental block there where I say, hey, is he a dad? No. This, this man that I'm looking at on screen, he's not a father. He is a statue, and you've breathed life into him, and now he's back. Yeah, and but see... You've said he, he's a father? No. But see, he walks on screen. He's got a big tree in one arm. He's walking along with it. No, this doesn't happen in this movie. It, it happens. Uh, let's see. I think that's Collateral. No, that's the one with Tom Cruise. I don't remember. Yeah, it anyway, matter. walks up on They're screen. Kind of big tree. And I'm like, you know what? That guy could support a tree. He could definitely support it at Otter. So, boom. He could support a whole family with those arms. It's yeah. true. Uh, and see, I think my <laughs> my understanding of that is his arms may be very strong, but uh, it comes from the heart. Yeah, uh, his heart is stronger. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of a strong heart, I mean, there there are some there is some actually very good character building in this film. Not with him. I think he's they they push the fact that he has sort of this implanted memory you know that's the whole thing with the story it's like is it a memory is it real what's his mission who is he what's who's uh who is doug quaid that's probably the poster right yeah I haven't looked at promotional material in a while but i think there are a lot of characters he meets and especially when he goes to mars that are like to me introduced very quickly very like hey let's get back to arnold shooting people but you're like i like these people already 
and it's like they're flawed and they're they're being fucked over in some way but there's something to them there's something to Melina you know like that I immediately was drawn to as simple as it is to just be like you knew a guy who's possibly good or bad, you know, there's like something to that. Yeah. Right. And ultimately you have the people who are fighting, you know, for the rebels trying to get air for Mars and all that. And, you know, I think that is also, I think that's a story that a lot of people can get behind is always that, you know, there's an evil entity and then there's a small band of people who are rising up to fight for what they believe in. Yeah. But especially when it's an evil conglomerate. Yeah, but yeah, no, I, I think there is a lot of character development. You know, I think Michael Ironside being bossed around by his boss, who's really just trying to get him to live in the moment and stop overthinking <laughs> his plans. I think that is something that, again, we can all get behind because, you know, sometimes you're at work and you're just trying to make a, a plan for like, oh, you know, we got a whole bunch of freight that's coming in and how am I going to break it down? And you end up spending a whole eight hours thinking about like your whole plan. And you don't get anything done. And so you got Michael Ironside's boss who's like, no, you got to just stop thinking, stop thinking, and then, you know, do it. And then. (laughs) Yeah. No, that actually did stand out to me when you mentioned it while we were watching. You were like, why? Like, Richter keeps going back to Hohagen or whatever the fuck his name is. And being this, like, very subservient, like, oh, I messed up, man. I'm so, oh. I really, I failed again. And the big, the big man upstairs, just like, dude, it's totally fine. Don't worry about it. You're doing great. Yeah. Like, he, he, he does come off in a sort of like mean way to him. But the whole time it's like, if he didn't care about this guy, he would have been gone. We oh, wouldn't yeah. have seen Michael Ironside anymore. It would have been somebody else who he trusted more. But this I- is like a true relationship here. I think Richter had like upper management in his future and Cohagen's like trying to like help him get to upper management. I see. Yeah. And so like, you know, he's like, Hey, Richter's got some flaws and we really need to just kind of iron those out, iron side them out before we can get him up to upper management and he can take over, you know, like Mars LLC of my business. Yes. Yeah. He was slated for maybe the big man to step down, go back to earth. And he he would take over the Mars division, but he kept getting in his head about it. Yeah. And I, I think he, he was recognized as he can get the job done if he gets out of his head and then proceeds the rest of the movie to be in his head and not be able to get shit done at all. It's very funny. Uh, Michael Ironside's in this movie. After watching Scanners and seeing him just be not in that movie enough, I was like, God, it's good he's in this movie. Yeah. Because... This redeemed his sort of on-screen presence for me, where I was like, ah, yes, he he can do this. He keeps, I think, a problem with his character is he keeps relying on the the little tracker spotter guy too much, and the tracker <laughs> spotter guy's like literally bottom of the barrel. Like I just hold the tracking. <laughs> so just just to clarify, you're talking about Tintin Quarantino. Yes, the man who somewhat looks like Quentin Tarantino, but is not Quentin Tarantino, and we named him Tintin Quarantino. (laughs) He's got a different hairstyle, but there's a vibe about him that is very Tintin. And uh, yes, that character, Tintin Quarantino, is to me like one of the pushover guys that I would expect to be blown up by Arnold Schwarzenegger within the first half hour of the film. And yet he persists. I don't even know if he's he has an on-screen death at all. 
I am now trying to remember when he dies and I can remember a lot of people dying in this movie, but I don't think he, Quentin, I, don't I mean, think Tintin one. Yeah. Does he get I out? Think he, I think when Michael Ironside almost destroys the dome of Mars <laughs> with an errant bullet, I think Tintin comes, he, he has a full revelation. He goes, I shouldn't work for this guy. This guy tried to kill all of us. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, He'd it's just quit on the spot, probably right there. It's kind of the, the, like he's like, hey, if Cohagen's like going to promote this guy to upper management, I don't think I can work for this corporation anymore. I think, yeah, I think he had a total sort of life change in that moment and valid. Yeah, he, he literally almost died at that moment. Many moments before then, but that moment specifically was like, you're going to do you're going to shoot glass in space. Yeah. Why is it just glass? Also, OK. This brings me back to what you were saying about it basically taking things, you know, grab bag from Alien, other other space movies to, to precede it. Just just a sort of vibe of space concept art around the late 80s to early 90s. There is a weird design clash that I noticed. It starts with his outfits throughout the entire film. Yes, I agree. Or rather, I couldn't let it go <laughs> he is dressed like a dad the entire film and his character is not a dad he's just a guy saving the planets and whatnot but the the main things that irked me the most were the things that stood out you know is if i'm looking at a background i don't want to notice the weird discrepancies between the designs i want it to be a cohesive thing so when a spaceship lands on a docking bay and the docking bay is very detailed and sort of a concrete rebar, what is it called? Just sort of like industrialistic feel. Brutalist. But the space, it's, it is brutalistic in some way, but not in the same way of just like very slate, uh, concrete-ish thing. It has its own sort of still being built vibe to it. Yeah. But the spaceship was like rounded metal, interesting design. It, it clashed immediately when I saw it. I said... It's it's not either a good model or something, but it just did not work in the scene. That that's a good point. I I don't know if like that's what they were maybe trying to go for was like, hey, spaceships have a different feel to everything else, mm. but maybe that just wasn't realized in the right way. I could maybe get away with justifying that, but I think ultimately you're right that just it was two different concepts that came together poorly because yes. to go off of that, you also have the, you know, cool little cars in this movie that scoot mm -hmm. around and all of those are angles. You know, you don't see any like circular shapes with those. Yeah. It, it was just weird. It was the most bulbous thing in there and it totally clashed with the rest of the environment. And just, they, they specifically in the film were like, here it is. It's going to do this cool visual distortion in front of the the sun or whatever. And it's like, it looks cool as an effect, but the actual model of the ship is bad. <laughs> like, yeah. Not good. I did not enjoy looking at it. I would rather just look at the rest of sort of what's going on. And that that's ultimately what just sets me off is there was a very cohesive design throughout where you're like angles, you've got... You do have the difference between an earthen sort of situation that he's going on in the beginning of the film versus the Mars stuff. 
And those two things feel separate in their differences. You're like, okay, there's a cohesive Mars, there's a cohesive Earth. And then you're like, maybe if it's a shuttle from Earth? Yeah, like what you're saying. It's like maybe because of this difference of Earth and, and Mars, there's they should clash. Yeah. But, but visually, if I'm drawn to it in a way that makes me mad, I think that, f- for me, fails. Yeah. and I, and I would rather it not make me mad. And ultimately, going beyond the Cars 2, like you... Cars 2. Uh, you... <laughs> <laughs> You hit cars three. (laughs) You have the, you know, like you were saying, the difference between Earth and Mars. And even on Earth, they still had a lot of angles. You know, everything had sharp angles. And so, yeah, it is just weird that it's like, you know, if they had taken, you know, I don't need a movie to explain everything to me. No. But maybe if they had taken a second to be like, hey, they're, you know, circular and oval shaped because it, you know, deals better with the pressure changes between Earth and Mars. I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. That makes sense. And I'll take that more. Yeah. It just felt like a rushed design that they put in. Yeah. Because they couldn't design a better, like, angular ship, I guess. Yeah. To match the theme. Yeah. When when it comes down to it, though, it does, you know... I I wasn't taken too far out of the movie because, like you said, you still have all of the great set of the rest of Mars... You know, we see it plenty of times in this movie. I think it's one of the things that we kept coming back to was like, hey, look at these little, you know, obviously they're models, but intricate, though. Dude, give me models any day. Give me Blade Runner models. Give me Star Wars models. Give me models in here. I will love them. They are phenomenal in this movie. I, I cannot say that enough. They're not only is like the full surface of Mars, they have multiple models for it because they use the train one a couple times. Yeah. And then there's a fully different one that they pan over at the end. And you're just like, this is incredible. Like, totally different angle. They, there's so many intricate models who, uh, they, they're incredible in this movie. I, I was blown away consistently how they were lit, how they are displayed in the shots. The people being keyed into them works so well. I. I was never thrown out of the movie just for being like, they're not there. I'm like, they're on Mars. It's beautiful. The only problem is he's wearing a checkered fucking flannel. (laughs) And uh, that takes me out of it. thematically. I couldn't tell you what he should be wearing. I just don't think he should be wearing that specifically. That's fair. Because he's not a dad. Yeah. But no, like, like you were saying, they keyed people into these little models too. And it helped to like sell the scale of the models And you see it plenty of times in other 80s movies and 90s movies where they have models and then they have like just scale variation where you're looking (laughs) at a person. You're like, that's not right. But like they did that final zoom where like it went from the people coming out of the little like enclave area. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, like zoomed out and then you see more and more people and you're like, whoa, like that's yes, that's doing it. And even even that scene where they're on you know, Mr. Rogers trolley going through the tunnels and stuff. And right before they do like a very bad comp of like the window and then pulling back. Very bad. It's very bad, but it's still, it's still like they preserved the not angles, right? Like you can tell it's a a comp, but the ratio of the people are still right. And you're like, okay, like my, my brain realizes it's fake, but I'm also still being sold on this. Yeah. It's funny. The, the the first thing that actually comes to mind is like the new Dune, 
has that same sense of like cosmic scale. Yeah. Of these ships are huge and they're landing and the people coming out of them are these big. And you're like, <laughs> they nailed that in total recall. They they got it. They Dude. were like, here, here is the scale of a Mars settlement. And I was like, I believe it. I love it. Thank you. That is a super solid point that I totally didn't even think about when we were watching that. Yeah. I, the Mars section of this film sold the film for me because a lot of the Earth stuff, you get what you're expecting out of a, out of a Schwarzenegger action film. But then as soon as you get to Mars, it almost becomes more artful in that there is the ominous red glow of the planet in all these shots. And you can just sort of bask in so many different locale where you'll get Cohagen eerily lit in his office like being a bastard <laughs> and he'll be lit in this really cool and ominous way and you're like wow it's fun when lighting is lending itself to a character in that way where you're like he's the bad guy so he's lit in red but they're on Mars so everyone's lit in red what's going on it's it, it felt really good and it never felt faked it just was like they're on Mars I've, I'm believing this this is very good. This is possibly what it would look like if you didn't filter out the atmosphere in some way. It's yeah. very well done sci-fi. The only thing that irked me was the the differences that I no noted. The, the costume. And the costume. Yeah. I, I think even when he's, you know, there's there's aspects about other people in the world not dressing like him. And it's like... <laughs> There's that first shot where he's outside, I, like even going to work, I think. And you immediately spot him because he's in this, you know, bright green or whatever different colored thing. And no one else is dressed like him. And yeah. it's like, so he's just a weird kooky guy who dresses like this. Yeah, his his wife in the beginning, like she's wearing that athletic outfit that's like very 80s athletic, but like yeah. in a way that's kind of futuristic. And then, you know, you got Melina, who's got her like tall boots and like loose shirt. That's also very 80s, but not very 80s. And, and maybe that's where it is. It's like everybody else felt like they were in the 80s and he felt like he was straight out of home improvement. Yeah. And to think that it came out in 90, right? Like this is an 80s movie that came out in technically the 90s, but it was made. There's no way it was made in 1990. Yeah. Because there are so many aspects about it that scream late 80s movie. Oh, yeah. And you can't step away from that, except his his getup. It yeah. is so weird. And I think, you know, oh, boy, the one thing we, we haven't hit yet that we definitely have to, the difference between late 80s movies that was different from early 80s and then even early 90s was just the violence of this movie. Ooh, and, yes. you know, they were like, I don't know who they got to do the squibbing for this movie, but they got the master who was the just squibber. like, yes, <laughs> that's what it says on their card. Yeah. Squibward tentacles. Squidward. Uh, yes. He did the squibbing for this movie and it's fantastic because they shoot a guy and it's not Tarantino esque, but it is close to it where just like a proportionate amount of blood comes out of this guy splatters around the environment. And you're like, in a way that is only late 80s, you do a little chef's kiss and you're like, ooh, this is good. Yes. You you have to simultaneously chef, chef kiss and shed a tear for 
the death of an art form in terms of just the amount of squibs you throw on actors and <laughs> and stunt people because this film takes violence to the to the 80s extreme in terms of how many bodies are piled up and squibbed and thrown down escalators. Yeah. And <laughs> there is no expense spared to show you the audience. Hey, we're doing, we're killing these people and we're showing you and you get to see it in detail. And there's an aspect of that, that I'm glad is gone from some modern films. And there is something to it in this film where I say, look, this belongs here. I don't, I think the amount of red paint <laughs> splattered upon many, many sets in this film is necessary to show just the evils of, <laughs> of Cohagen and his, you know, nonchalance towards whatever he's trying to stop, you know? It's, it's so violent. It's, yeah. it's over-the-top violent. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I've been on record being opposed to the use of violence for conflict resolution. However, <laughs> in a in a late 80s movie, you know, you, you got Arnold doing these just preposterous things. And maybe it's one of those things that just sells like the concept of an action hero where you have people who are just getting mowed down. Yeah. And like then you have him who's spoiler. He's fighting a giant Chekhov's drill. And like, yeah, it tears he him up a little bit. Drill. Yeah, it, if it tears him up a little bit, it hurt, hurts his arm. But like, he gets a little bit of blood. And you know, if that had been any other extra, that person would just be shredded beef, gone. In a, yeah, in a crunch wrap supreme. The person would Missed. just, yeah, yes. And yeah. yeah, it just. But he's uh, he's amazing. He can't be killed. I I think with eighties movies the concept of violence for the purpose of violence went from showing us the horrors of you know violence and the reality of being violent to somebody else then to the glorification of hey somebody's trying to shoot arnold and he grabs an <laughs> innocent bystander who just <laughs> bullet sponges so many bullets this guy was just going to work he was he was going up the escalator. Had, his had life a family ended problem that day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Every bullet that goes into this poor man, my life flashed before his eyes, and his life flashed before my eyes, and I saw his family and his yes. hopes and his dreams. Go but on. it was also just like you sit there and you're just kind of like, damn, that was kind of funny. <laughs> yes. Let's get back to more about this film after a quick break. Yeah. And we're back. Yeah. More Total Recall. Not the new one. 2012. I haven't seen that one yet. So there's something to the character design of mutants in this film that was intriguing to me as well. Not just design in terms of like mutations of the skin and, you know, they've got arms and whatever, but... I think the the concept of if you are mutated in some way, you also gain the power to read minds. Yeah, I think there's there's something funny about that where you're like, they're not just they're not just mutants; they're also psychic mutants. <laughs> where it's a very comic book concept that you have to just sort of immediately accept because they just throw it at you like, eh, here he, he's he's here. Yeah, I don't know if maybe Philip K. Dick like talks more about it in the book maybe 
but like that did seem kind of like rushed and like hey you just have to accept this and you're like oh, okay and also just like the concept where it was like and hear me out i'm not trying to you know rationalize cohagen's actions or whatever but it, it very much seemed like oh no a cohagen <laughs> sympathizer look everybody gives him a hard time but he was just upper management hard take right here somebody else from earth was telling him to do it <laughs> no so this is just one of the things i didn't get from the movie was like it didn't seem like he was like against the mutants per se it just seemed like he was for his bottom line and didn't care who he got you know to cut out of the of the way like he that's true yeah, i don't it, think he there was no caring. He he shut off air to to the the place. It yeah. wasn't he shut off air to the mutant place. It was yeah. just the place. And it wasn't that everybody in section D or whatever that the, where the air gets cut off. It wasn't I think like they were all just of four. And, and like yeah, I think you know it wasn't that he he hated mutants. It was that he hated he just everybody. Hated poor people. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And then you have very much the mutant uprising that they were talking about, where they were like, hey all of us rebels, we're all mutants and we're going to fight against Cohagen. Again, great, you know, fight the system, but I just didn't... I don't think they were all mutants. I think it was more uh, a sort of symbolic community, right? Yeah. Where it's like, yes, they may be run by someone who ends up being a mutant, but it wasn't because they were a mutant or anything. It was just because they had this sort of zen about them, right? That had the like the concept of those who do not want to lead make the best leaders. He, he's the best to be the the rebel leader because he just wants peace, which doesn't mean he wants to lead. But he's now the leader because he wants the most. He wants the most peace, <laughs> peace through war. Yes. Yeah. He peace wants through conflict. He wants peace so bad that he's willing to kill everybody in his way. Yes, but I think there is also something to. It possibly just being fully shoehorned in there so that you get the cool pre-destination uh, scene through that where you're like, look into a mind and yeah, I will unlock this cool scene for you. And you're like, it's a cool scene. I agree. Is that why all mutants are psychic now? Yeah. Just because you needed that scene? It, it did kind of seem like they were like, all right, we've done like the mind wiping you know machine we've done that twice now we need another way for arnold to kind of recover the broken parts of his memory we're going to do it through a, a mutant yes yeah and there is something to the core of this film being about memory being about failing memory sort of uh, what, what do they call it uh, like a embolism or you know when it goes wrong and th there's something to the core of the film being based on this Philip K. Dick high concept memory vacation thing that like thinking about it screams, screams old Phil, you know, yeah. you're like, oh, of course, the short story cannot go into as much detail. I doubt that there might not even be mutants in the short story. I, I have not I, read it. I kind of got to know now. I might read it if it's a short. I'm going to read it tonight. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to read it on stream. Uh, no, no. Uh, that's the thing with a Philip K. Dick thing is Blade Runner is to do androids dream of electric sheep. There is so much stuff in Blade Runner that is not at all a part of electric sheep. So I think there's the same thing where you're like, well, if we can adapt a Philip K. Dick thing, we can 
mold it to what we want it to be. And you get total recall. Yeah, and same with Minority Report, where it's like you have this cool concept of pre-crime and should we be stopping crime before it theoretically happens? And then you got these directors who are like, hey, let's run with that. Yeah. So I that's the thing is I fully appreciate any of Philip K. Dick's stuff being adapted in this way because you get to see something that that does feel very high concept in terms of androids or predestination or memory wiping or some form of memory altercation is always something that you really have to think about, I think, especially if you're making a film in some way and you're putting the money into a film. You're like, hey. If we're doing a memory thing, how do you how do you make that interesting to watch? And they fully succeeded here. Yeah. And, and I think putting it in the air of basically like a spy story where you have, you know, your hero who might be a double agent or he might not be. And he might just be not remembering this whole thing the right way. And then, you know, that works just so well because, you know, you you don't know as the watcher what he's thinking and then even he himself as the actor in it uh doesn't know what exactly he's doing and it just it works really well yeah there's definitely an aspect of it being very well written in terms of him believably not knowing what reality he is in at that moment yeah and having to rely on literally a drop of sweat to tip him off as to whether or not he is in some sort of fabricated dream or not, yeah. right? Which, and to be fair, maybe that room was just really hot. And that guy <laughs> who's like trying to break him out of it, maybe the dude was just sweaty. That's the but, thing. I think in in a sort of manner of ambiguity, it could still be, they, there could be a, a part, you know, an after credit or the the camera zooming out at the end he succeeded his mission on mars that he crafted in a memory and it involved all this different stuff that he totally said he wanted in the film or in the dream vacation it pulls out he's he gets the girl he saves the world he saves the planet and then it goes like and he is out of it i feel like that is a very possible explanation to it literally fitting his wishes in that way true i think i would definitely fucking hate that movie then because anytime a movie ends with like it was all a dream (laughs) is the laziest writing in the world fight me writers i will fight you one by one because if you're ending your movies that way just just stop it's not cool anymore it's not cool to be like oh but the hero was in a dream all along Hey, I think it's, Nolan it's good that. that it didn't end that way. Yeah. But, but it's like, it it still leaves the vibe of, it could be. Yeah. It could be, though. Yeah. And, and just, again, you know, the whole concept of memory being this fourth dimensional concept where by us observing it, you then have changed it in the way that observing a quantum event changes it. Yeah. It, and, it's almost, and I, I it blows my mind to even think about but it's almost like the hyperviolence, the oneness, you know, the the savior-like complex of this character of Doug Quaid does feel as almost it is a predetermined quest because it is presented in this late 80s film way 
I, I think it ends, not definitively, but it def it ends with him being in a reality where he is like this guy and yeah. he did the things. But my as the watch as the viewer, yes, you are in this sort of quantum state of now I have seen it. Is this the the final thing? You know, the director's cut. They zoom out and they're playing it on the billboards as like an ad for the Total Recall service. Yeah, I don't know. And you know, even I kind of want to go a step beyond that where you have this like super cerebral concept right of what is memory and how does memory work and how does mm -hmm. our looking at memory change it and whatnot not only that but a company has figured out all of it yeah and it's it's a very let's be honest high concept that is rather boring to just like talk about as it is itself and so it's interesting that the director of this movie was like look i want to you know talk about this Philip K. Dick novel, but I don't want it to be like, you know, this 1970s fade out at the end with synth playing. Wah, wah. Was he a dream all along? And so he, he throws in all of this hyper violence as something to attract people where you're like, yeah, it's an action movie. And then at the end you're like, Whoa, wait, what's memory? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Bring it back. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you look at, you look at Star Wars, you have the classic hero's journey and you have all of this action and adventure with it and it's easy to swallow. You have Avatar that's Pocahontas with some cool action and adventure. But then you have this movie, which is action and adventure, and then at the heart of it, this concept of what is memory? And you're like, whoa, I don't know. It just it goes a step further than I think a lot of uh, things th do. There is a vagueness as to what the film is about, right? Yeah. And I think that is a lot of 80s films is they, they aren't really about anything but if you are adapting a novel or at least a short story by an artist that usually is like trying to get you know phil k dick is like you know what is what is life what is the concept of you know humanity that sort of stuff and in this one you're like if you're adapting something that is fully about what is your personality it, like what is your core being if you choose if you have a supplanted memory that makes you technically a better person is that who you are now and your your old life is dead is can you change it, it is changing a, is losing your memory akin to becoming a new person there are so many questions that it raises because doug quaid is the the guy he's yeah he is the guy and you're like is he Doug Quaid? Is he, was he always Doug Quaid? Was there a different personality below that? Is the core, are, are people good? <laughs> yeah. If they and, choose this. And if his personality does change based off of his memories, will it actually change because is personality based off of memories or is it based off of more than that? And it's, that's the thing. It's not even just his personality changing. It's like his core tenets of who to protect, who to side with. Because if Doug Quaid was finally like, oh, I've learned the truth. I'm going to stop what I'm doing. But his conviction of current memory, you know, like he doesn't even have, did they, did they build the memory too strong? Is it even a memory at that point? If it is a conviction of 
eight years of memories that he thinks are real, but he thinks are also fake. And so it, it, there is something interesting in there that I'm I'm wondering maybe if the 2012 version goes deeper into that and has Colin Farrell just have like a full <laughs> mental <laughs> breakdown at some point. Yeah. I'd be very interested to see how a new director would take this film. And and so I'm I'm now very interested in seeing that film. You, you think in a way it would have to, and it would have to talk about kind of those things because, you know, you also got to think about like how, how does that one subject kind of accept those concepts, right? Like, yeah, because, you know, there's plenty of times where like you're thinking about a memory that you have and like you'll tell somebody about it and then they're like, no, that's not how it happened. <laughs> And then you either have to choose to latch on to your memory of that memory and yeah. how you remember it, or you have to kind of accept what they're telling you and Which go off Which is also of, based on their memory. And they could be wrong. Yeah. And so, yeah, do you accept the things that are so firmly in your head that could change over time and have been proven through science to change over time? Yep. Or do you kind of understand that all of your memories are going to be this kind of fluid thing that change over a period of time and that you yourself are changing through a you know variety of cells and stuff you know your body regenerates every seven years and then your memories aren't the same so really 30 years from now who are you gonna be seven years from now who are you gonna be exactly are you gonna be doug quaid yeah yeah i i think there's there's definitely something to arnold schwarzenegger being this meathead you know i love him I, I absolutely do. I I know where you come from in terms of your love for this man. And I I do too. It's not the same. We don't share the same fondness for him, but he is great. And I love him even more now. Seeing videos where he's like got a donkey and he's like, oh, yes, my donkey. You know, like stuff like that. I, I love that. I love the man he is. I love the man he continues to be. He's a different man than 1992. Oh, this yeah. ain't no Doug Quaid walking around. This is this is the new Arnold. And yeah, he's been governor now. He's done a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, and so it, it, there is something core to the character. It's weird that I'm we're getting to this deep philosophical thing, but I think Phil K. Dick did this because not having read it, there's something to Doug the existence of Doug Quaid choosing to be the good guy right yeah even after learning certain things that maybe have already been spoiled for you if you haven't seen the film i don't know either way there's something to that choice of goodness that is welcome in this film because i think there is an alternative reality where this is the bad guy and they accept this memory removal of of doug quaid's essence snuffed out and then, you know, something else happens in Doug Quaid. You know, Doug Quaid lives on. But the fact that he's Doug Quaid also, what a name. Not, yeah. not a superhero name. But, uh, yeah, it's like Doug Quaid became the primary consciousness and was like, Doug Quaid wants to live Doug, Qu Doug Quaid's way. <laughs> <laughs> and he wins out, you know? He gets the girl and the, gets so much murder. Doug Quaid, yeah. a big murderer. <laughs> Big, big food. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to clean up all those bodies on Mars, but I'm sure they'll, they'll figure just, something out. Oh, they can't suck them out into space anymore, you're right. No. Shoot. Yeah, I, 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 I like that, though, and I like that, you know, whether he is, whether this whole thing has been 
a memory implanted in his head at the very beginning or whether it's his change at some point due to all of these kind of brain shifts at the end he is still chosen to be where he's at and has gotten there yeah and so you kind of have to ask yourself like whether he's living this you know inane nightmare or living an actual dream come true hey is it so bad i think the genius level of this direction of the film is the fact that you do not see him hooked up to the original machine you just see the aftermath of him being like oh yeah uh, you know who am i where am i mars and if you're shown any of him actually getting stuff and you know you you get the the audibles from the scientists in there that are like he didn't even we didn't even implant it into him yet and you're like but we didn't see anything so we didn't see doug quaid go under so we don't know is he still asleep is he it doesn't really matter it's not the core of it i think the core of it does become the choices of this memory oh it's so crazy to think of now i can't i can't get past the philosophical level See? of Doug Quaid. And that's one of the things that's, you know, great about this movie is you sit down to watch an action movie with Arnold blowing people away and shooting them out of airlocks and stuff. And then at the end of it, you're having this philosophical concept and co- conversation where you're like, Seriously? what are memories? And can I even believe my own memories at this point? And it's the definitive answer is no, you cannot. Your memory is actively lying to you all the time doesn't mean it's badly lying to you it can yeah. be it can be modifying stuff for different reasons but it's definitely modifying stuff yeah there what there was some you know it's like people trying to recount events between a year ago to like seven years ago it's like there's there's been studies now they're they just the details will change over time and you know, the only truth is the stuff that is fully hard coded on record somewhere because we are so fallible. Our brains yeah. just do not know. So with that, you know, get on TikTok, record everything, keep a record of literally everything. Please. That way, when you're like, what is my memory? Am I Doug Quaid? You can get on TikTok, watch yourself do a silly dance and be like, oh. No, I'm a silly dance man, you, not Doug Quaid. No, no, you'll get on TikTok and you'll go back to the uh, the day this episode comes out and you'll you'll have posted a TikTok that says, "Yes, I'm Doug Quaid. <laughs> get to Mars. <laughs> we have to go to Mars, dickhead." Yeah, uh, but Aaron, definitively, what what do you think? What do you think of this film? Watch, not watch. What's your opinion? You know, it is a movie I will tell anybody to watch. And hey, if you need somebody to watch it with you. I'll watch it because I love this movie. And uh, it's also a watch from me. Uh, you got your second double watch. And it's not even like a passive, like, yeah, you should watch it. It's like full on. This film changed changed me in a way. <laughs> and I'd seen it before, but my memory is fallible. And now that I've seen it again, yes. Yeah, and possibly in seven years we'll be watching it again. And I'll say, I don't remember this at all. But <laughs> now we have a podcast discussing it, indicating that we definitely did watch it. Yeah. So, Jimmy, now's your time. Tell you to get to Mars. Jimmy, it's all a lie. You're actually Doug Quaid. Get to Mars, dickhead. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Leave a review if you have the time. Bye. Bye.